the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Donald Trump will reportedly be indicted on federal charges next week, making history again in an era where, well, history seems to be made just about week. We'll talk today about what it means that the former president of the United States will appear in federal court to defend himself against federal charges. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad you've joined us. If you're someone who believes we're living in extraordinary and maybe even bizarre times, well, the news wouldn't offer much to suggest you're wrong. Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States, is expected to be arraigned next week on federal charges that include violations of the Espionage Act. This coming on the heels of the scandal over his handling of some classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago home in Florida and his indictment in state court in New York for allegedly concealing hush money payments to an adult film store. Of course, all of this is groundbreaking. Literally, no president in our history has faced criminal prosecution after leaving office. But the federal charges in particular raise some really important questions about the bounds and the stability of our republic. This Justice Department, after all, is part of an administration whose leader— President Joe Biden defeated Trump in the 2020 election. And Trump is not just a former president. Right now, he is the front runner in the Republican field that is forming to challenge Biden's reelection bid next year. So, yes, this is about the law and enforcement of the law, but it's also about our politics and how they may be affected by these legal developments. What does this mean for our politics? Are we in this strange new space where criminality and the specter of criminality is being weaponized against political enemies of the person in power? That was a fear that many people had when Trump was president. Or are we just in an era where one political actor in particular has done things that are so egregious and so counter to the legal norms that govern us that he has to face criminal consequence. I think those are really tough questions to answer today, and I think they only get tougher as Trump makes his way through the legal morass that now lies ahead of him before we even get 
to the primaries in the 2024 presidential election. And that's where we want to begin the conversation today. What are the charges that Donald Trump will face in federal court? And what do they mean to our politics, to our culture, to our sense of the republic itself? A little later in the show, we're going to talk with Richard Primus, who is a law professor at the University of Michigan and also a constitutional law expert. But first, I want to welcome Kyle Cheney to the program. He is a congressional reporter for Politico and has been following the story about Donald Trump facing federal charges. Uh, Kyle Cheney, welcome to Detroit Today. Very good to be with you. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the news itself. Uh, Trump has said on social media that he's been indicted. Lots of uh, news organizations are reporting that he is going to uh, be indicted and appear in a federal court to be arraigned. Tell us what we know, what we actually know about what's happening, uh, what this is actually about at this moment. Well, we actually know surprisingly little because it was Donald Trump himself who made the announcement that I've been notified that I'm being charged Mm -hmm. and that I've been told to come to federal court uh, on Tuesday uh, in Miami. And beyond that, you know, his lawyer was on TV saying, here's the sort of range of charges we think are included here. But we don't exactly know how many. But we do we do know is they're in the category of the Espionage Act, which has to do with the retention, the willful, intentional uh, collecting and keeping of classified information, national security information, uh, and obstruction, which, you know, if you follow this story at all, you know, there's a lot of questions about whether uh, Trump attempted to prevent authorities from reclaiming these documents and, and even concealed them uh, at his properties. And so, so it sounds like those are going to be part of the charge as well. Obstruction, Espionage Act, and false statements with the third category. So people, you know, potentially misleading or, or lying to authorities as they investigated this matter. What does this mean for him? Uh, not just as a candidate, but uh, as, a, as a citizen, this idea of being charged under the Espionage Act, that's not something we see terribly often in in federal court. These are very serious mm-hmm. allegations. They are. These are these are not, you know, uh, non, you know, close call kinds of crime. These are very serious matters. They, they could put him in, in jail for, for many years if he's convicted. Um, and, and I think to your point about, you know, questions about the validity of this and whether there's political retribution, you know, we the facts are going to be, you know, so significant here. We don't really know them yet because the indictment hasn't been unsealed. But, you know, we have the process now where we should see the chart, the case that's being laid out in a very public way. And that will really answer that question is if the if the case is as overwhelming as it's often been characterized, um, you know, it would be surprising to not charge someone based on those facts. But again, if, if this is a weak case, if it doesn't if, if this shouldn't have been brought, we will know that when we see kind of what the evidence is that DOJ lays out whenever this eventually gets unsealed. So let's go back to where this all started, which is in Mar-a-Lago, where the president, the former president has a home and where, I guess, allegedly at least, uh, he took many documents when he left the White House with him and and stored them there. Uh, A lot of the coverage of that the, the the FBI raid that revealed that mm-hmm. and everything that's happened since has tried to put that in some context and and has suggested that look this is something that 
that people in the executive branch often do. They end up with documents from the time that they were in, mm-hmm. in office. What's different in your estimation sure. about what Donald Trump is accused of having done just with, with, mm-hmm. uh, with regard to those documents and, and why it leads to the kind of inquiry that we see from the Justice Department and, and as we all now believe, uh, to these kind of indictments? So as, as we've learned throughout this process, it's actually a little, a little scary how, how little care is taken often at the end of administrations when big dot boxes are packed up and sensitive information is thrown into boxes along with personal items and other non-sensitive papers and, and sort of sent around to you know people's homes, their, their presidential libraries, their foundation, you know, and, and, and so that's something that's a, you know, a sort of a larger problem to address. What's different about Donald Trump is that when the National Archives discovered that he had these documents, and first of all, the degree and the seriousness of these documents related to the highest levels of classification, that really important national security intelligence uh, was some of the, some of the categories of, of information found at his home, but he resisted returning them. You know, whereas you've seen reports of, of Joe Biden and, and Mike Pence uh, discovering that they had materials in their residences, first thing they did was come on down, take them back, have them, please come get them. We didn't know. Now, you may have some skepticism about that, but that is that was their response. Trump resisted for over a year returning some of the documents. And then when he did return some, he didn't return them all. And then when they pressed him and they subpoenaed him, he still didn't return them all. And then when they raided his home, they found more. And so that is the 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 difference in the pattern here, and why this seems to be approaching the level of criminality, uh, whereas others may not may not do that. Mm. I also wonder if you can talk a little more about the idea of being charged under the Espionage Act. If if you think of other people who have been charged with that, mm. um, you know, the, the the word spy or the word traitor, I think, pops into mm-hmm. people's minds. Quite a bit. Uh, the, the, really? the, the people who have have generally been charged with this are people doing things in concert with mm-hmm. foreign governments or foreign actors. Uh, is is that part of what the concern is here with Donald Trump? Uh, and we don't know, of course, yet all the details because we haven't seen the indictment. But is that looming in the background here, or is this just about? You know, being uncooperative with uh, these documents and and therefore violating the act because uh, he sure. just didn't want to give them back. I mean, the, the espionage does sound ominous and in some ways almost more ominous than it can be. It does certainly cover the, that kind of uh, cooperation with foreign adversaries in terms, but it's really just a blanket term for the handling of classified information, and and so it covers a whole range of crimes related to how classified information is stored, mishandled, lost, um, mistreated, and and so in this case, uh, you know, what the likeliest charge will be is that he re- willfully retained, which is classified information, in a way that violated the, the, the law and in ways that, that kept it, made it unsecure. Whether what happened to all that classified information is going to be a key part of this. You know, did it end up in the wrong hands? Not necessarily a foreign bad actor, but did anybody see it who wasn't supposed to? Because that in itself is a national security risk. Did it compromise intelligence sources? Cause, you know, you know disrupt operations because sources were put at risk. You know, we don't we don't know yet the content and, and the impact uh, of of you know keeping those documents at Mar-a-Lago and what it might mean for national security yet. Mm. 
We're talking right now with Kyle Cheney, a congressional reporter for Politico, who has been uh, following the classified documents scandal that uh, we believe will result in indictments against former President uh, Donald Trump next week. Uh, we're talking about what the charges are and what they mean, and that what they mean in a legal sense, what they mean in a political sense, what they mean in the sense of our republic, the idea of a former president being charged by the Justice Department that's overseen by the person who defeated him at the polls in 2020. Also, uh, somebody who says he wants to be president again and will challenge the current president uh, next year. What does it mean to have uh, these kind of charges leveled against somebody who has those kinds of aspirations? Is it a threat to the democracy that uh, we all live in? We would love to hear from you, our listeners, during the conversation as well. Give us a call and let us know what you are making of this indictment, uh, this potential indictment against uh, Donald Trump. Uh, are, are you somebody who believes uh, he should be treated no differently than anyone else if he actually is guilty of these things? Or do you think that we need to be more careful about the way in which uh, legal action infringes on our politics, uh, makes our politics murkier. Uh, what do you think of the idea of the, the, the things that he did with these documents, uh, the other kinds of uh, inquiries that are uh, ongoing into Donald Trump, uh, trying to figure out what, what he did while he was in office and in some cases uh, even after? Uh, do you think all of this is, as he says, a witch hunt? Or is this a legitimate inquiry into an actor who, for whatever reason, uh, has gone far beyond the bounds of the kind of behavior we expect from uh, not just the president of the United States, but any citizen? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Kyle, before we get listeners involved in, in the conversation here. I want to have you talk just a little about the politics. Uh, we, we, of course, are, are at the very beginning of the reactions to this, uh, but talk about uh, what this means, landing the way it does in the middle of what is a, a, a still-forming field of Republican mm -hmm. contenders for, for president next year, uh, what 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 should we expect uh, in the in the political in the political reaction to this? Well, there, there's there's two things to keep in mind, and number one is I mean the reaction you're seeing right now is extremely intense and heated, and then the Republican side and the in the pro-Trump camp, which is this is essentially almost a declaration of war against you know the political enemies of the current administration, and it's a political prosecution, and you're hearing. And, and, you know, this is all, again, being done in the absence of any facts. And it's always easier to talk about it that way in the abstract until you see the evidence. And that's you know, why I mentioned the facts are going to be so important here. And I think DOJ and special counsel Jack Smith, who ran this investigation, are aware of the political explosiveness of what they're doing. And so you'd think would not bring a charge like this, charges like this, without having it be pretty compelling and overwhelming in terms of the evidence. Um, and that's why once we see the details, uh, it becomes a much harder thing to to mischaracterize or to, to sort of treat as this 
uh, apocalyptic attack on a political adversary. I mean, Jack Smith's investigation, he's a special counsel. He's meant to be insulated from sort of the political uh, aspects of this. Now, now we know that Trump has expressed doubts about whether that's the reality. Um, but, you know, he, he's he's been independent of the Justice Department. Uh, Attorney General Garland has said he's not had any influence on, on the course of Jack Smith's investigation, the decision to bring charges. Uh, and so although he does answer, Smith does answer to Merrick Garland, uh, Garland has said, I'm going to let him make the call. So, you know, uh, while we're still waiting to learn more details, uh, I, I think you're going to hear a lot of that that very heated, very in some cases overheated rhetoric about what all this means. Um, the, on the other flip side, if someone did commit these crimes, if someone, if their evidence is there, you expect DOJ to charge. You hear no one's above the law a lot. That's what Democrats are saying. No one is above the law, mm-hmm. and including a former president or even a current front-running candidate for president, if the evidence is there. Uh, and so uh, that you know. I think even if you press Trump supporters would agree if you someone if they had evidence someone broke the law, they should be charged for it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with uh, Kyle Cheney of Politico about the charges against Donald Trump. Remember, a little later in the conversation, we're also going to talk with Richard Primus, law professor from the University of Michigan, about the constitutional dimension of all of this. We're going to get going with you on the phones and on social as well. Brian in Detroit, Jerry in Detroit, you'll be up first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've tuned in. We've got Kyle Cheney with us. He is a congressional reporter for Politico. He has been following the news of the day, maybe the news of the century. The idea that Donald Trump will appear in a federal courtroom next week and answer for charges, including violations of the Espionage Act. This all dates back to the FBI raid of his home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, which revealed lots of classified documents that he still had possession of uh, long after he had left uh, the White House. Uh, We're talking about these charges in particular. We're talking about what they mean to our politics and how they challenge the notions of our republic. There are lots of people who believe that charges like this leveled against a political opponent are political in nature and go beyond the bounds of legal enforcement. Lots of other people, of course, believe that Donald Trump has done so many things that uh, that stretch beyond the bounds of the law that he's got to be held accountable. What does that 
mean in our politics and our culture? And how does that play out as we get closer to the real beginning of the 2024 presidential election? We'll hear from you as well on the phones and on social, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start today on the phones with Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, okay, the way I feel is if you got an individual and we should keep everybody as, you know, a person is charged with committing the crime, no matter what his standing is, they should be held accountable just like anybody else. Why do we keep parsing that he is special? When he's not special, he's just another person accused of being co- accused of committing a crime. That we're going to blame the the police for his criminal acts, or the government for his political acts. Yeah. So, I so that. Brian, I'm absolutely on your side here. I, I I think look, if if he's done something wrong, he should be charged and should ask, have to answer for that in court. But. We live in an era where I think there's a lot of concern about how that all plays out. And and let me give you an example. If Donald Trump's Justice Department, for instance, had decided to charge Hillary Clinton with something uh, after he was president, uh, would you have thought as cleanly about that action as as this and maybe you would have but but I, I guess what I'm reacting to is what I see and hear in so many places which is this this doubt that that our politics is staying clear of the law Brian I, I wonder what you make of that oh, did we lose you Brian okay well, uh, Kyle, I wonder if you can talk a little about that. The, the, again, it's yeah. it, it is the way it is the 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 way in which we interact with each other right now on places like social media and and other forums that that leads me to this this conclusion that we are straining the bounds of the way that sure. we see all this working. And, and look, uh, to be honest, I, I do think it's fair and, and good to be skeptical uh, of the government when it's bringing, especially you know, politically explosive charges like this, if, especially against a, a political adversary of the person in power. But I'm going to be a broken record and say this is why it comes down to to, to the evidence. If, if Donald Trump's administration charged Hillary Clinton, you certainly would have heard people saying this is a political prosecution. But if the evidence supported those charges, it'd be hard to argue with that. And the same thing if, if you know, look, Hunter Biden may get charged by the Joe Biden administration, um, although that, you know, the, the, you know, we'll, we'll see or he could be exonerated if the evidence isn't there. And mm-hmm. are people going to say, well, that's a political decision. Again, it, it just depends on the facts of the case. And if Hunter Biden deserves to be charged, Joe Biden's Justice Department should charge him. Um, and and the same would have been true of Hillary Clinton in a Trump administration. And that's why, you know, in the absence of evidence, it's going to be easy to, for all this stuff to get thrown around. And if the evidence comes out and it's weak, people will call that call that for what it is and say this doesn't look like a strong prosecution. I have some doubts that the, that the evidence will be weak in this case, given the, the political significance of it. Uh, and the the actors involved, you know, Merrick Garland and Jack Smith, who are not known to you know, be particularly, uh, you know, we, you know, weak or bring, bring these kinds of weak cases. Um, but we'll see. We still haven't seen it yet. Yeah. 
again, Brian, really appreciate the the call and the the, the thoughtful question. Let's go next to Jerry in Detroit. Jerry, welcome to the show. Um, good morning, and thank you very much, Stephen and Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump is a man who's who's so used to getting away with so much for so long um, that um, his supporters seem to think he's made out of Teflon. And if you know, if anyone else, especially a Democrat, did what did the kind of things Trump did, they would have been put under the jail. <laughs> but you, but you hear the. Um, here, the, the Lindsey Grahams and the Ted Cruz's and the, and the Kevin McCarthy's out there um, making excuses and coddle, coddling, this, coddling this man, um, that they've become pretty much, much the cult and will defend, will defend anything Trump, Trump does. I mean, if this had been either Hillary Clinton or um, Hunter, Hunter Biden, you know, again, they would have been put under the jail. Yeah, Jerry, listen, I, I, I hear a lot of folks uh, saying the same thing, and, and there's no question that many of the things that Donald Trump is either accused of doing or that we know he has done are way outside the bounds of uh, the way we expect people to behave. Uh, and and we are seeing you know prosecutors at the state and now the federal level Try to try to hold him accountable for those things, uh, but but the double standard that you're talking about, I think, goes to the skepticism that people still have about this, and and that they have about the way in which uh, these things figure into our our, our politics, uh, and I think that's that's a skepticism we see on the left. And that we see on the right, Jerry. I really appreciate uh, your call, uh, Kyle. Before I before I let you go, I want to have you talk just a little about how you think this affects Trump's candidacy for mm-hmm. the presidency next year. He is he is a front runner, and not by sure. uh, not by a hair. I mean, he's way out front. Uh, yeah. Does this change that picture in any way? I would say in the immediate term, it does not. In fact, it may strengthen him, as we saw after the New York indictment. Um, You know, I think there's a bit of a circling the wagons effect that this is going to have, again, in the short term. When the facts come out, that could change. And you have to remember, there are two other pending criminal inquiries, another one by Special Counsel Smith and one by a DA in Georgia, Fannie Willis, both about Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election that are still out there and could land, I think Georgia's is probably going to be in August and, and Smith's other one could come anytime between August and, and October or so. The accumulation of these things may start to have an effect, an erosion. People may say, you know, we, do, we really want to deal with this, uh, you know, over time. But, you know, right now, I don't think we're going to see that impact in the short term. Um, but I wouldn't discount it and say, oh, this, you know, People, there are a lot of people out there saying this is going to make guarantee Trump's victory uh, because the people are going to be so disgusted by the fact that he's being charged and they're mm-hmm. going to rally to him. Well, even if you see that bump in the beginning in the Republican side, I don't know if that's necessarily a long-term impact. Okay. Uh, Kyle Cheney of Politico, it was really great to have you here with us. Thanks for joining on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. 
We want to welcome another voice to the conversation now. Richard Primus is a professor at the University of Michigan Law School, uh, someone who is a constitutional expert and joins us from time to time to talk about uh, the Constitution and the law. Richard, welcome back to Detroit. Thanks, Today. Stephen. Yeah. Happy to be here. It's great to have you. I want to have you walk through the what we believe will be the charges against uh, Donald Trump and, in particular, the presence of violations uh, of the Espionage Act among uh, among the indictments we expect to be coming. Uh, let's talk a little about what the Espionage, Espionage Act is and how the former president maybe violated it. So the first thing is, to pick up on something that you said, although there's a lot of talk today, understandably, about the indictments, um, the people who are talking, including me, haven't seen the indictments yet. The indictments will be uh, unsealed next week, and then there'll be public documents, and we'll all know for sure. Right now, we're all still speculating a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that understanding, the Espionage Act is a World War I-era federal law that's meant to protect national security. Um, it's called the Espionage Act because a bunch of it is about spying and about you know, um, uh, penalizing, prosecuting people who spy against the United States for other countries. But it covers a bunch of other national security things other than spying itself. And the part that is at issue here is a part of the Espionage Act that's meant to protect national security by prohibiting people from holding or retaining national security documents without appropriate authorization. Um, One thing maybe worth mentioning, um, the Espionage Act is older than the classification system that tells the government what documents are secret and Mm -hmm. how secret they are. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of talk over the last year or so about whether the documents that President Trump retained when he went to Florida were classified or declassified, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about that. Um, But since you asked about the law specifically, it's worth noticing the law doesn't speak in terms of documents being classified or not classified because the classification system didn't exist yet when this law was written. The, the, The question is, are they documents that are important for sensitive national security issues, right? That has to be determined by the court. Mm-hmm. Were they possessed without authorization? And crucially, um, did President Trump keep those documents when he knew they were in his possession and the government asked for their return? And then did he lie about it? Um, the the Department of Justice knows that because there are lots and lots of officials dealing with lots and lots of sensitive documents, it sometimes happens that officials in good faith have documents where they're not supposed to. And in cases where it's not especially dangerous, um, the normal remedy is the government just says, hey, you have this, you probably don't realize you have it, give it back. And it's given back and we all go on, right? We don't worry about it from there. Um, What's different about this case Um, we expect, right, we'll know for sure next week, is that it's likely that President Trump will be charged not just with possessing the documents, but with refusing to give them back when asked and with lying about what he had. That, um, if we're guessing, is likely to be the crux of the indictment under the Espionage Act. Yeah. So, Richard, you and I have talked 
lots of times about the politics of this era and how they how they stretch the bounds of our republic and and the bargains even of our republic. I, I would love to have you talk just a little bit about what you think this new entry into into that narrative means and and how concerning it it might be given uh, given the other strains that we see on the rule of law and the idea that that our politics should be clear of of the rule of law and the bargains that that we make to to stay together as a as a country i don't mean to to doomsay there but but i think that that really is part of what is unfolding in front of us these days sure um and i think this is crucial and i do think that the rule of law as we've known it hangs in the balance here. It's not something that we can take for granted. Um, A system where the government is constrained by the rule of law is something that most Americans do take for granted. Um, We live with it. It is relatively unusual in human history, and it's something that can fall apart. There are a lot of people who say that prosecuting a former president is very dangerous. Um, it's dangerous because it will be very divisive, because it's a way to make people who very much support that person lose faith in the system. Um, It's dangerous because there are lots of countries in the world where the people in power routinely prosecute their political enemies. Um, And that's a terrible way to run a government, right? You want to have a system of politics where people are free to oppose the government without Mm -hmm. worrying that that's going to land them in jail. Um, And we've been pretty lucky in those respects in the United States. And so there are a lot of people who worry about what prosecuting a former president might mean. The, The trouble is that the danger that we now face, that people are associating with the prosecution of a former president, is a symptom and not a cause. Uh, the, the danger that we're facing now has been baked into our situation at least since the day that Donald Trump was elected president mm-hmm. in 2016. Um, we were, it was almost inevitable that we would then face a bunch of things that we have since faced, including um, uh, his various subversions of the rule of law in office including his resistance to the result of the election in 2020, um, and including the need to confront the situation where he's broken the law and uh, the authorities have to decide what to do about it. Um, We knew that this was baked in because of one of the most important and most true things that President Trump has ever said. Um, You may remember During the campaign in 2016, President Trump, talking about his own supporters, said, I could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue, Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't abandon me. What he meant was, um, the law doesn't apply to me. Um, My support is the kind of support that would stick with me, even if I committed a horrible crime and everybody knew it. And it's terrifically dangerous to put in power any person who can say that about himself, um, especially 
if it if he might be right to say that about himself, mm-hmm. because it means that he understands himself to be above the law. He understands himself to be somebody who can act without worrying about legal consequences. The system is not built to withstand having a person like that in a position of power like the presidency. The system requires that people who are in positions of great power exercise a fair amount of self-restraint. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, 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 the system can't function on other terms. And the previous presidents who we have had, right, the ones I've voted for and the ones I've voted against, the ones I like more and the ones I've liked less, have all been people who believed in the values of the system sufficiently that they exercised a fair amount of self-restraint, right? That they wanted the system to survive healthily after themselves, um, and that they weren't—they they wouldn't do just anything in order to advance their interests or stay in power. And that's a wonderful thing, right? It's what guaranteed the peaceful transfer of power, including from between political enemies, yes. uh, in the United States for a very long time. But it was clear in 2016 that electing Donald Trump to the presidency would be a big risk to that, right? Because he was someone who could say, I could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue. Because you you, you may remember um, in a debate with his rival in that election with Hillary Clinton, he threatened Hillary Clinton with prosecution. Yes. Right there in the debate, right? He said, well, if I'm president, I will appoint a special prosecutor to prosecute you. It was stunning, right? No one, no, no major party candidate in American history that I can think of, right, during the campaign announced, if I'm elected, I will prosecute my, my opponent, opponent yeah. my political opponent as a criminal, right? Um, that was a that was a huge red flag right to say this person will use power in this very dangerous way mm-hmm. um that you you may remember the lock her up chant yes right that um uh, that, that was a staple of that campaign um so the conventions of self-restraint that were a big part of what was healthy about the american system for a long time uh were on the ballot in 2016. Yeah. Um, and Donald Trump became President Trump, and, uh, and a line was crossed. Um, it, it was not going to be possible to get through the future from that day um, without a lot of damage, without a lot of um, things that would not go by the older and healthier rules. Mm. So when people today say um, it's very dangerous and inappropriate to indict a former president, I think, yeah, I hear that. And I wish we lived in a world where that didn't happen. But part of why that's never happened before was that we never had a president before who who believed that he could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and get away with it. We never had a president before who inspired a violent attack on Congress. Um, we never had, right? And and if you have someone who does that, and it's widely known that he does that, 
the problem is that not to prosecute sends the message that that he's right. Yeah, he's right. Then and that that it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Richard, I, I need to get to another break, but and this is great. I mean, this is exactly the explanation uh, I think I was looking for, and that our that people need today about what is going on and why. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Richard Primus. We'll also continue to hear from you on social and on the phones. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. Your neighborhood. Your community. Your voice. Join the conversation on 1019 WBET. This is Detroit Today. I'm 1019 WDET, and I'm talking with Richard Primus, a law professor at the University of Michigan's law school, also a constitutional expert. He teaches the law, theory, and history of the Constitution there. Uh, We're talking about the potential and probable, it seems, indictment of Donald Trump on federal charges, including violations of the Espionage Act, the new space that puts us in as a nation, having a former president stand up in a court and answer for criminal charges. Uh, it's not the first time he will have done that. He did it as well in state court in New York, where he has been charged with uh, a scheme to hide hush money payments to an adult film star that he was alleged to be involved with. Does this put us, though, in a really different space? Does this really stretch the ways we think of the republic, having a former president stand and answer to criminal charges after they're in office? Not just a former president, but also a president uh, who wants to be president again. He's eligible for another four-year term. He says he would like the country to grant that to him in November of 2024. How does this change that? How does this alter the way we think of our politics and of the law? As always, we also want to hear from you on the phones and on Twitter. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here. And you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. I'm going to take a quick call before we get back to Richard. Uh, Abigail and Plymouth. Uh, Abigail, go ahead. Hi, um, thanks for taking my call. Uh-huh. Can you hear me okay? I can. Go ahead. Okay, great. So the comment I want to make is that I think a lot of women and people who have been abused recognize in Donald Trump that he is a boundary pusher and a gaslighter. And he will push and push and push until somebody stands up and says, this is not reality and this is not happening anymore. And that is what America has to do. We have been dealing with a person who has flipped reality on its head in multiple ways Mm. and undermined all of our faith in all of our institutions. I didn't even know prior to Donald Trump's presidency that the Justice Department was appointed by the executive branch. It was, you know, I think Donald Trump's presidency was a primer in civics for all of us, but the point is... It was so independently run that no one needed to know that Mm -hmm. because we all assumed that the Justice Department was an independent branch doing things properly. And it, for the most part, was historically. It was only until Donald Trump and his conspiracy theories made all of us 
lose our minds and lose track of what is true and, and accurate, yeah. that we all start questioning these things. And that's why I think it's very dangerous to give any oxygen whatsoever to the idea that these 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 indictments or anything other than right. the consequences that, that accountability yeah. Uh, yeah abigail i i hear you and and i've gotten some feedback during the show from people who've also gotten after me saying that i'm giving oxygen to that uh, i want to be clear that that i'm i'm not i'm saying uh certainly i i uh, i don't question uh what the justice department is doing i do know that what it's doing because of the the, the politics that exists in the country right now uh, gives oxygen to this idea uh, on the right that there's some double standard at work here and and I guess my concern is how we how we mend uh, that breach of of the the, the compact that we have and uh, to, to kind of agree to coexist uh, in in this country but Abigail I really appreciate the call and uh, and the comments. Let's go next to Mike in Beverly Hills. Mike, what's on your mind? Hey there, how are you doing? Good. I wanted to um, just ask a question of your guest there. It seems to me that that what we're seeing is, is symptomatic of kind of a general breakdown in people's willingness to follow uh, laws mm-hmm. and uh, sort of take things within their own hands. And um, I'm wondering uh, if if uh, if our guest also feels that way, and if there's some way of remedying this because it, yeah. it certainly puts a lot more of the risk. I, 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 I think, past. yeah, Mike. I think the back end of your question is is critically important. And Richard, I, I want to invoke something you said to me a while back about the time that we live in as a as a way of getting uh, to, to to Mike's question here uh, you talked about the, the the republic essentially being like a pickup basketball game where there aren't referees and there aren't really clear ways to to enforce the rules against the other team but each team respects the rules and the customs because they want to keep playing they want to keep the game going and and you said that in America right now, we've got one side, the right side, that is is not abiding by those by those rules uh, and not holding other people accountable for those rules. And so, as Mike says, uh, how do you how do you fix that? Is indicting someone like Donald Trump, holding him accountable, a path to fixing that, or does it just make it worse because more people? will believe that uh, the system's rigged somehow and that, uh, you know, uh, they, can, they can do whatever they need to do to win. So it's a big problem, right? I mean, as you say, like, it's one of the things that I say to my law students year after year, right? Constitutional government is like playground basketball. Um, if you care more about winning every round than you do about playing fair in the spirit of the game, the game will break down, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and that is where we are, right? It's where we are because in 2016, one of the teams, you know, named as its captain, someone who doesn't care at all <laughs> about, about playing fair <laughs> in the spirit of the game, right? right? He, win, win, win. That's, that's all that matters. Um, and there is no remedy for that as long as a person like that is the captain of a team. Th- th- there isn't one. 
Um, America needs a strong and responsible Republican Party. Right? We need, in order for the system to work healthily, we need political competition between different political parties, either of whom is fit to govern in a responsible way. And we were lucky in America to have that right, for a long stretch of time. Um, Donald Trump, as the leader of one of the teams, is not that system. And we are never going to get back to that system until the Republican Party both moves past Trump and is willing to repudiate his legacy. Right? Um, I think, and, and there are Republicans, of course, who know this, right? Um, uh, the question is whether there are enough of them and when there will be enough of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think your, your first caller, Abigail, um, is right about um, the oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also the concern that this indictment might make things worse because it might provoke more people to support Trump. I think that it's a concern that is based on a failure to understand how bad the situation already is, right? It's a concern that imagines that if the Justice Department didn't invite Donald, didn't indict Donald Trump, um, there was some possibility that everyone would be reasonable and we could, you know, work our way back to um, some sort of accommodation. Um, that's not the case. The constituency that is going to be uh, inflamed in favor of President Trump by this indictment is a constituency that is going to believe right, uh, lots of toxic things, whether he's indicted or not. Um, there, it's not a problem that's going to be solved through accommodation. Hmm. It's a problem that is only going to be solved when enough of the Republican Party decides we can't have this, right? This is not tolerable, right? We have to repudiate this and move forward. Um, I wish um, that that is something that enough people in the Republican Party would do today, tomorrow, a year ago, five years ago. Um, Politics being what it is, as we have learned, that might not happen as long as the Republican Party thinks that it can do better electorally by keeping Trump and tolerating him than by repudiating him. But what has to happen, which is another way of saying, it might have to happen that the Republican Party suffers big electoral losses, big enough for you know, reasonable Republicans to decide this is just not even in our interest at all, for them to say, we just have to repudiate this entirely. But until that happens, accommodation um, is not going to help. It's just going to um, uh, extend and increase the environment in which Trump and people like Trump can continue to flout what ought to be the spirit of the game. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Richard Primus, uh, University of Michigan Law School professor. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back Monday for a discussion about why American values have shifted so quickly around gender and sexual orientation and how that's changed our politics. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.